Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may be able to prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. Romans 12:2. This is Resistance and Reformation on the Fight, Laugh, Feast Network. Abandoned by his friends, vilified by his fellow pastors, and scorned by the religious elite, the great open-air evangelist George Whitfield found solace and friendship in the most unlikely of places. It was a notorious skeptic, not a faithful believer, who rallied to his side. Whitfield was America's first true celebrity. Though he was newly ordained and just 25 years old when he began touring the sparsely settled colonies in 1738, he was an immediate sensation. And he remained so for the rest of his life. Over the next 30 years, amidst some seven visits from his native England, he would leave his mark on the lives of virtually every English-speaking soul living on this side of the Atlantic, from the cosmopolitan businessmen of Philadelphia and the seasoned traders of Boston to the yeoman farmers of Virginia and the frontier adventurers of Canada. By all accounts, he was the father of modern evangelism. He sparked a deeply affecting revival of portentous proportions, the Great Awakening. He helped to pioneer one of the most enduring church reform movements in history, Methodism. He laid the foundations for perhaps the greatest experiment in liberty the world had yet known, the American Republic. And yet, the opposition he faced was fierce, personal, vindictive, and cruel. Whitfield was often ridiculed, scorned, and persecuted for his faith and work. Hecklers blew trumpets and shouted obscenities at him as he preached. Enraged mobs often attacked his meetings, robbing, beating, and humiliating his followers. Men were maimed. Women were stripped and occasionally raped. Whitfield himself was subjected to unimaginable brutality. He was clubbed twice stoned once, whipped at least half a dozen times, and beaten a half a dozen more. And he lived constantly under the pall of death threats. Once, he recorded in his journal, I was honored with having a few stones, dirt, rotten eggs, and pieces of dead cats thrown at me. Nevertheless, the Lord was gracious, and a great number were awakened unto life. Amazingly, it was not just the profane who condemned Whitfield's work. He was also opposed by the religious establishment, accused of being a fanatic, of being intolerant, and of fanning the flames of vile bigotry. He was often in more danger of attack from the clergy than he was from the worldly. As a result, biographer Arnold Dalimore says, Whitfield's entire evangelistic life was evidence of his physical courage. He fearlessly faced his opposition and continued his work, though often 
stung by the vehemence of the opposition he faced, he refused to take it personally, attributing it rather to what he called the offense of the gospel. His unlikely chief defender and best friend during those trying days was the renowned free thinker and skeptic Benjamin Franklin. The two met shortly after the evangelist's first visit to Franklin's hometown, Philadelphia. Surprisingly, the two became fast friends. Patriot, inventor, scientist, philosopher, musician, editor, printer, and diplomat, Franklin brought the prestige of his unparalleled achievements to the public service that consumed over half of his life. He was the living example of the richness of life that man can achieve with the freedom and the will to do so. In many senses, he was the first American, and he was a founding father of the first rank. His rise from apprentice to man of affairs was paralleled by an ever-widening circle of interests. His curiosity led him from subject to subject. He mastered printing, learned French, invented a stove, discovered electrical principles, organized a postal service, and helped to discover the Gulf Stream. As a young man, Franklin had begun to question the pious assumptions of his neighbors. His wide-ranging intellect seemed to lead him in every direction except toward orthodoxy. He became a frank deist, rejecting much of the Bible as mere moralistic aspiration or idealistic fantasy. Over the years, he had become rather notorious for his reckless promiscuity, disrespectful cynicism, and esoteric inquiries. He was hardly a prime candidate to become an intimate and a confidant of the father of evangelism. Nevertheless, Franklin was fascinated by Whitfield. He was stunned by the passion, conviction, and suasion of his preaching. He was intrigued by the intellectual honesty, theological consistency, and moral integrity of his work. And he was inspired by the courage to tenacity, and selflessness of his personal life. He was gripped by the sheer skill, beauty, and balance of Whitfield's discipline. He once said, he can bring men to tears merely by pronouncing the word Mesopotamia. <laughs> Another time, he quipped, never go to one of Mr. Whitfield's assemblies with money in your pouch, or you shall surely soon find it empty. Such is his alluring power over the will of his hearers. And again, he said, there is hardly another minister of the gospel alive who can so bring to life the truth and relevancy of the scriptures. Almost he persuadeth me to believe. He was particularly taken by the fact that Whitfield was as delightful one-on-one -on -one as he was before his vast throngs. He is a fine conversationalist and a sympathetic listener. He is an ideal friend, Franklin said. 
But then uh, Franklin proved to be an ideal friend as well. He undertook the publication of Whitfield's journals and sermons. It was a good business decision. The books were instant bestsellers on both sides of the Atlantic, but it was also a boon to both of their personal lives. Over the course of nearly 30 years, the two men carried on a vibrant correspondence and forged an intimate friendship that sustained them both throughout the rest of their lives. They encouraged one another. They stimulated one another. They inspired one another. They cajoled one another. And they comforted one another. Just before Whitfield died of exhaustion following a strenuous evangelistic campaign throughout the Middle Colonies, the two friends had exchanged letters regarding plans for a new Christian settlement across the Appalachian Mountains in what today is Tennessee. Whitfield was interested in seeing how the principles of grace might be reflected in the temporal world. Franklin was interested in seeing how those reflections of the eternal world might be principled in freedom. Clearly, each had helped to transform the thinking of each other. As historian Douglas Southall Freeman has said, their friendship was a living example of iron sharpening iron. It made possible Whitfield's great work of resistance and reformation. I'm George Grant on the Fight, Laugh, Feast Network. For more information and for resources, including a a new app, go to georgegrant.net or adoringgod.org.